Okay, so covenants. Why are covenants important? What you must understand is when you read your Bible, whenever you get into the Word of God, what's important is you must understand that God has written certain kinds, kind of uh, understanding in the, in, the, in the Word. So you can read it as a friendship. So, you know, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as, righteous, as righteousness and he became the friend of God. So when you look at the Bible, you can look at it as a friendship, a friendship between a person that is connecting with God. Um, you cannot only look at it in that way. And, and, and the reason for that being is that you may miss the reverential side to the relationship. So there's an aspect of the fear of God that sometimes in friendship is lacking. So you cannot only look at the Bible in terms of a friendship. You can look at the Bible in terms of a marriage. When we look at the Bible in terms of a marriage, it's between a bride and the bridegroom. You will begin to see marriage talk through the whole Bible. If you understand the Hebrew uh, uh, process of marriage, the Hebrew process of marriage was broken up into three parts. If you understand that, there will be a better understanding of the Bible as well. The reason why we're waiting for Jesus' return and why there's a marriage language and, and the, the church is basically the bride waiting for the groom to come. Um, and all of that makes sense when you understand uh, the Bible from a marriage perspective, the Hebrew marriage perspective. Uh, you can look at the Bible from a slave master perspective. Um, and also that you can't only look at it like that, but that's one angle and one perspective you can take. Um, but remember, with all of this, we need to look at it. When we're reading the Bible, we're reading it from the full counsel perspective. What is God's full counsel in the scripture? Remember, you cannot build your theology around Genesis. You cannot build theology around one book of the Bible or one scripture, one verse. If you take that out of its context, and, and when we say out of its context, it's out of its context in where it was written in which book. And you can also take something out of its context because you're not looking at the full counsel of God. So you can look at one passage of scripture and get a, a, a wrong theology simply because of a misunderstanding of only looking at one um, passage, passage of scripture. So you can get a bad theology just because of, you can get bad theology from the Bible, but that's because you're reading it in a manner that will produce that kind of result. So, you know, God's word is true, but so many people that are believers are believing weird things. Why is that? Because they take that scripture out of its context. Um, something that's quite popular is in, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And what happens? When we begin to look at that scripture, you sort of look at that and say, hey, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And uh, what happens is we, we actually then begin to look at that scripture and say, okay, if you want to be a basketball player and you're only... Um, you know, 1.5 meters, you know, God has a plan for you. Go for it. And, and it's not really the context of that scripture. It's really looking at no matter what you go through, you can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens you. So not really speaking to I can do anything I want to do. It's more speaking to, um, you know, God carrying you through anything as long as you have contentment with godliness is great gain. So we look at those scriptures, we begin to get a better understanding. So one of the ways in which we can study scripture and look at the Bible is through the context or through the lens of covenant, of covenant. So this is, this is obviously uh, very important. This also gives us a, a, a good perspective. And we obviously need to understand covenant in order to look at the Bible in that way. So, um, when we're thinking about covenant, uh, you know, the guys around the table, yeah, they're sitting with their pens and papers, so that's a good sign. Um, but when we think about covenants, we need to ask ourselves, how many covenants are in the Bible and how many covenants really affect us as Christians? That's very important to understand. 
Because if there's a covenant in, in the Bible, you need to see what is it about, who does it affect, who did God make that with, and does it affect me as a Christian? Because if, if it affects me, then I need to understand the covenant relationship and the covenant partnership that that, that, that entails what is in the Word of God. So those kind of things are very important. And obviously, if, if we're looking through the lens of covenant, we want to start to understand what that looks like and what is written in God's Word concerning that. So when God made man, he didn't just make man, um, you know, he didn't create Adam and say, okay, let, let's see what Adam decides to do. He wanted relationship. So what we see is that God is not, is not looking to us to, you know, God's not looking to us to, to just do our thing and, and let's see if it turns out okay. God wants partnership. There's a, one of the most striking verses for me is where God says he wants to co-labor with man. Now, I, you know, that is so stalking. That is, is such a, 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 a big verse, and I'll tell you why. Because God is, is, is so big. He's, he created everything. He made us out of mere dust. And even though He did that, He still wants to have a relationship with us. It almost doesn't make sense. We are so weak in comparison to His greatness. We are so small in comparison to His bigness. And, and when I think about that, it's like we are on the lower end of the scale, yet He wants relationship with us. So when God made us, He wants relationship with us. He wants partnership. And covenant, what it speaks to is what we call an unbreakable bond. So when God makes covenant with us, He wants to have a bond with us that's un unbreakable. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, this is what it says. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. We work with Him. And that another word for that is co-laboring. And then the Greek word for that is synergos, where we get the word synergy from. So God wants a synergy, a connectedness, a working together. God doesn't just want to do things on his own in the earth. He wants to work with you. He wants you to come to the party with thinking, with your, with your, with your, um, you know, he wants you to come there saying, listen, Father, what, what can we do about this? How can we do this better? And God will say, hey, I want you to do this. So there's the synergy of relationship. I love it when I see how God deals with Moses or with Abraham. It's not so much a dictatorship. It's actually a relationship. You know, some people think of God as a dictator. He says, and we do. And very much sort of we are robots and God, you know, tells us what to do. And I don't see that in scripture. I begin to see more that God actually wants a friendship, a relationship. And I don't know if you notice, but friends don't control each other. Yeah. The most beautiful thing about a friendship is that in a friendship, you actually have a God who works with you. And, and in a friendship, it's like, hey, we work together. You know, we work together. You do something. I do something. There's really a partnership. And that's what covenant is. Covenant is an unbreakable bond. It's a, a partnership. It's, it's, it's something so much more, which I don't think we really see much of today. And I don't think we really stand, understand as much today. Um, Psalm 68 verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. So God is working in you, right? God is doing things in your heart, in your life. But God is also wanting to work with you. God is working in you, but he also wants to work with you. The trouble in the church today is that our gospel has become about what God can do for us. Instead of us entering into what God has already done for us. God has already done everything for you. You need to start to step into that instead of just saying, Lord, um, you know, so many people just like one blessing. Imagine God never gave you another blessing. Would you still serve him? If God never gave you anything else for the rest of your life, would you still choose to serve him? Now, there's a very different mindset to somebody that says yes to that. 
and, and somebody else that says, listen, I really want God to give me X, Y, and Z. I really want God to do this for me. Many times our prayer life is not so much communication, relationship, connecting. Our prayer life actually becomes one where we just come with a, with a, with a, with a list and hoping that God's a genie that we can just rub and say, Father, um, you know, if you can just do these things today, we will have an amazing day. And then I'll see you tonight to, to just thank you for that. And that's really not what God is after. He wants relationship. You know, if we really think about what God has called us for, it's not so much that we are, 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 we don't get saved for comfort. We get saved so God can challenge us, change us, and really work on our character. And that's why, you know, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various tests and trials. How can you have joy with that? Because if you fully understand what God's intention is, it's not to save you for comfort, it's to save you to change your character, to start to shape you, to mold you, to be whom He's called you to be. And when we really begin to see what God's heart is for us, if we start to understand covenant, I believe we'll see another aspect of who the Father is. And through that, what that will do for us is we will begin to understand things a little bit better. You know, when we were reading the book of Joel, we asked ourselves a question. The plague that God sent in Joel 1 that Joel is talking to. Now, remember, God sent that plague because they were in a particular covenant. He was in a particular covenant with those people. So we can uh, boldly say, we can vehemently say that, that that plague came because God sent it. So we ask ourselves questions. You know, we need to be able to make the Bible um, practical for today. So we can ask questions like, COVID-19, is this God? And, and many people side on different, you know, on different sides of the fence. Some people sit right in there in the middle on the fence. Some people say, you know what, that is God and God is trying to, to do this and that on the earth today. And he's using this to, to, to you know, to, to wake, awake, you know, make people awake and really just bringing a message across. Some people say, you know what, I don't see any evil in God and, and this cannot be from God. John 10, 10 says, um, you know, God has come to give me life and life more abundantly and I don't think COVID-19 is a part of that life. So you have to ask yourself from what you see in Scripture, having to understand God and understand His ways. And in order for you to understand that, you need to understand covenant. Because when you understand covenant, it makes God's ways uh, uh, better to understand. And it puts His ways in context. And that's really important. So we're going to see some of that tonight. Um, so blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. So I'm, I'm, I'm really... Not trying to say, God, what can I get from you? I'm, rather, I'm, I'm living from a place where you've given me so much. Let me live from what you've already done for me. Okay. So imagine, uh, you know, I always do use this illustration. I've got an iPhone. And, uh, you know, this is not a bragging moment. Um, <laughs> because some people don't even like iPhones. But, you know, this iPhone has capability. It has, you know, 128 gigabytes of space. It has an incredible, uh, uh, I think this one has still got the A6 processor. Um, it's, 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 it can take pictures. It can record videos. It can do some incredible things. If I gave this to somebody who didn't understand what a smartphone can do, they would maybe use this as a doorway to keep the door from swinging and, and you know, making a noise. So they'll just put it there. And, and you know, I would have given them something with such great cap capacity, something with such great capability, but all they would use it for is a doorstop. They misunderstood the intention and the purpose for why I've given them the phone. They wouldn't even know they could reach their, their, their family member that lives in another country. So what I'm saying is that God has given us so much. Once we understand the capabilities and once we understand the capacity we have, we'll begin to live from a different place because we will begin to understand dunamis power can make me do incredible things. 
So God has already given me that. And it's not so much, I must still say, Lord, I, can you please give me more? It's actually saying, Lord, give me the wisdom and understanding to know what I have and how to use what I have. You know, when I lay my hands on the sick, they shall recover, the Bible says. When I begin to tap into that, I begin to get an understanding that God has imparted so much to me. And when I understand that, guess what happens? I begin to live from a place of power. I begin to live from a place of love. Everything God is, is put in us. The Bible says God is light. So guess what he says to us? Don't hide your light. The Bible says God is love. So guess what he says to you? I have poured out my spirit in you. Um, in Romans 5 verse 5, it says that God has given us his spirit freely and he has should have brought agape love in our hearts. So this is everything we have. It's like, my, you know, my mind blows when I think about what God has already invested in us as mere people, as, as just dust that he's blown his spirit into. And here we are. So the question I want to ask you tonight is what are covenants? And this is important. There's some things that you may have a misconception about that we want to sort of set straight through scripture. So remember everything we talk about, we need to say, okay, where do we see in, what do we see in scripture? And uh, um, what are covenants? So God initiated covenants with man in order to establish relationship with, with people, with key people, um, with groups of people, with nations, and sometimes with the whole earth. So when God, uh, uh, you know, when God made covenant with man, he didn't take that lightly. When God made covenant with man, it was binding. You know, when we think about covenants, it's really, it's, it's really hard if you talk to a normal person on the street, especially somebody with a secular mindset that doesn't think about it from a Christian perspective. Um, oftentimes from Christians, we understand a little bit more about covenant simply because that kind of language gets used. Whereas if you talk to some colleague at work, they may not necessarily understand covenant, but they'll probably lean more into what a contract is. Now, a contract and a covenant are two different things, but have some similarities. And that's why the confusion comes in. Let me explain. So when we are bound to an agreement, that is a contract. So if you, um, you know, if you want to build a house, what would you do? You would, you would find a builder that you would maybe, somebody would say, hey, I've used this guy, He's, he can do the job. So what you would do is you would go to that builder and you would say to him, I have money, you have the materials, the skills and the know-how you know, to help me build what I want to achieve, what I want to build. And when you do that, that is a contract because it's somebody that has the money, the resource that the builder needs. And the builder has the, the, the know-how, he has the intelligence, he has the understanding of how to build what you want. And he can also provide the resources in terms of the materials, what would be required to build what you are needing to build. So say, for example, it's a house. With the contract, it's two people at equal standing that will now bargain and say, hey, what, 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 you know, I can only afford to pay this amount, but I need it done by that date. You know, I want it done before December. We're going to, you know, I want to get into the house before December, before the new year, I want to be in the house. So there's your, your money you put on the table. You also then bring what you want done and the timeline. The builder will say, okay, that's pushing it a little bit. Can we, can we maybe just, uh, uh, you know, maybe give me a little bit more time or I'll need this amount of money because, you know, this is, is increased in price and cement will cost X, Y, and Z. And that's a contract. A contract is two people coming together that are at equal standing and they negotiate and they work together to say, okay, what can we agree on in order to get the job done? So when we see that it's a binding thing. So if one of those parties failed to bring their side, if, if the person that's, 
that says, listen, I want the house built. If they don't pay the money in order at the right time for the builder to get paid and, and to pay his workers, he's, he's, he's in breach of that contract. He is he's breaking the rules of that contract. So if the builder you know, doesn't do what he needs to do, if he's not running according to the timelines, he could also be breaching the contract. So there are many kinds of contracts. And now I'm talking to something very simple. This is a building contract. There are different kinds of contracts. Another contract would be a peace treaty. You know, when countries come together and they say, listen, because of COVID-19, we've been at war, but we're going we're gonna to have peace. Um, there could be a ceasefire. Listen, we've been, you know, we've, there's, something's happened. You know, we don't want to fight any longer. So, so those kind of things um, start to happen. So there's different kinds of contracts that can take place. But a contract and the understanding is a contract is between two equal parties that come to an agreement uh, to, get a, to get something done, to, to do something um, that would benefit both of those parties. So what is the difference then between a contract and a covenant? This is very important and this will give you a good understanding around what we see in God and the way he comes and steps into covenant. So the key with the covenant is a contract is bilateral and a covenant is unilateral. So what that means is when God made covenant with man, God, God, God and man are not on equal terms. It's not a contract because in a contract, it's bilateral. Both parties are at equal standing. When God makes covenant with us, this is mind blowing because God, he doesn't need anything from us. Firstly, nothing that you have, you know, does God need. So, so what, do you, what do you bring to the party? And therefore, we are not able to contract with God. We are only able to covenant with Him. Okay? So many people want to make a contract with God and say, Hey, you know what? If you just help me out of this mess, out of this trouble, out of the sickness, out of this... Some people even want, you know, want God to help them out of their marriage. And, and it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy, but these things happen. And what happens is... What, 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 people, what people are doing is saying to God, I want to come into a contract with you. If you do this for me, I will do this for you. God is not interested in that. God is not looking for that. That's a contract. What God wants is a covenant. So a covenant is where God is, is in strength. I think somebody uh, was just unmuted there. So, so God is in, in the position of strength. He has, you know, He created us. So firstly... God made us. So, so there's nothing that we have that God needs. Nothing at all. So what we need to see now is a covenant is one-sided. A contract is, is two-sided. There's this agreement between two people. So when God steps into covenant mode, what God is doing is God makes the agreements of that covenant. God puts the promises of that covenant in place. God puts everything of that covenant in place. All we have to do is say, yes, we accept or no, we decline. So when God makes covenant, God is the, is the one that brings the conditions of the covenant, covenant into place. And when God does that, you can either say, yes, God, I'll, I'll go with that. Or you can say, no, I'm not interested. You have a choice. Even in relationship with God, some people say, you know, um, there's a, there's a, a, a theological stance called universalism where they say God saved everybody. I would think that's unfair. You know that there are some people that deliberately say they don't want to serve God. Yeah. This is not people that doesn't have understanding. This is people who are saying, I don't want God. You know, you may, you may see some people that are ignorant of God. But what I'm talking about is some people that say, they actually say, I don't want what you have to offer. 
So I think it would be wrong of God to force that people into heaven. Yeah. yeah. You, you understand, understand why? Like, that's why I feel universalism would, would be an unfair approach, even though it may sound good, yeah. but it would be unfair to somebody that says, I don't want God. Yeah. So, so when we think about covenants, what you must understand is, and this is where the confusion with covenants come in, is that covenants can either be conditional or it can be unconditional. Okay? Conditional covenants or unconditional covenants. Now, most of the covenants that God made were unconditional. So, if one party... Now, you must understand how God operates when it comes to covenant. And I'll give you an example that, that will bring some more clarity and some more understanding. If one party lets the covenant down, that does not release the other party from the covenant. In a contract, when the builder doesn't do his part, the owner or the one who needs to pay doesn't have to do his part. There's a, it's bilateral. It's, it's you didn't do your part, I'm not doing mine. Contracts only basically um, starts when one gets, so that's a contract. So that's exactly what a contract is. So a contract is when somebody, you know, if you don't do your part, I don't do mine. You in breach, I have the right to withdraw. So the, the understanding around a covenant is that there are times in a covenant when it's unconditional that if the one party lets the other party down, that does not necessarily release the other party from the promises that they made, provided that the contract, oh, pardon me, that the covenant was an unconditional covenant. So that's very important to understand. So when we think about, let's, let's think about a, 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 you know, an example that, that would really make sense to us. So if we think about marriage. Is marriage a contract or is marriage a covenant? Covenant. <laughs> Some people look a bit confused here. So marriage, is marriage a contract or marriage a covenant? So think about the way marriage is today. If you love me, I love you. There's a legal part and there's a, a legal part. Okay. And I'll say, I'm a covenant because in, in our country, you need to okay. But with God, under God's eye, it's a covenant. Rian's got some really strong views here. I think we need to organize him a wife. He's really serious about it. So, when we think about marriage, if we think about the way it operates in today's, in this day and age, you will understand why God views marriage in a particular way, because God views marriage as covenant, but the way the world operates is as, as if marriage is, is, is a contract. So, for example, when we get married, there are certain things called a, a prenuptial contract that you put in place that says if this happens or if we get divorced, then guess what? then we have a prenuptial contract agreement in place to say that you cannot touch my, my house on the beach, you cannot touch my yacht, <laughs> you cannot touch my horses, and you cannot touch my, my Ferraris. So, you know, if I own those things, maybe, you know, okay, my wife is about to hit me with a pen. Um, you know, so, so a prenuptial contract is something put in place because they view marriage as something that has an end point. Yeah. Okay. And that's why in the world today, we view marriage with a contractual mindset, hmm. not with a, coven a covenantal mentality. So when we come into marriage, think about it now. If it's an unconditional covenant, then if one party lets down their side of the agreement, it does not release the other party yeah. from the promises they made. Because remember, when you get married, what do we do? We take vows. Wow. 
So you will say in sickness and in health, till death do us part. You will say things like, you know, for better or for worse. Some people say that, but they say for better. And under their breath, they want to say for worse. You know, they say in health, but under their breath, they want to say in sickness. <laughs> why, why would that happen? Because we, we sort of say that on our wedding day when everything's rosy and things are going good. And, you know, the bride walked down the aisle and she looks incredible in that white gown. And, the, and that guy looks phenomenal in his dashing suit. And what happens is in that uh, euphoria, in that moment, in that celebration, what do we do? We, we now get excited and we say these words so lightly. But when God says, I've made a covenant with you, listen, guys, it is, it is done. When God says, I've made a covenant with man, it is done. So we need to understand the covenant agreements in the Bible to know what relates to us. So... There are five covenants in the Bible. Some people view it as, as some people only see three of those covenants as, as covenants to them. Some people look at it and say there are seven covenants in the Bible. There are different, different views, but, but we're going to talk about five key covenants in, that we see in the Bible. Okay? Five key covenants in the Bible. And there are six questions we need to ask ourselves when we look at those covenants. So the five covenants, these are the five covenants we're going to be talking about. The first covenant is the, no, the, the covenant God made with Noah. The Noahic covenant. That one always gets me. So it's the covenant God made with Noah. It's the covenant God made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. It's the covenant God made with Moses or with Israel. The covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant. And then the new covenant, which is called the Messianic covenant. That's the one through Christ that is birthed in the earth. So you will see every time I, I gave the name of the covenant, you would see it was tied to a certain person, yeah. to Noah, to Abraham, to David, to Moses. So the reason for that is because when God made those covenants, it doesn't necessarily mean it only starts and stops with them. It's just that they were the key individual in place at the time when God made that covenant. Okay, so God made a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with, 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 through Jesus, with us. So how many of those five covenants affect us as Christians today? That's a good question to ask because you need to know, if I'm looking at this, what, what am I in, in covenant with God you know, where am I in covenant with God and which covenants are sort of, you know, binding to God for me and, and, and myself to God. So the, the four, four out of that five covenants really are, are, are in place for us today as Christians. The one that's not in place for us today as believers, as Christians, is the... Noah. Mm -hmm. Which covenant is not in place? So it's fine. It's the Mosaic covenant. It's not in place for Christians because when God made that covenant, he made it with Moses and with the nation of Israel. Okay. So that brings a lot of interesting things into it. Because if God made that covenant with them, then what the conditions, remember, remember the, the Mosaic covenant is a conditional covenant. And this was that covenant. With, when God made the covenant with, with, with Moses and with the children of Israel, what covenant did he make with them? He said to them, if you do X, I will do this. It was a conditional covenant. In other words, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, guess what happens? I will curse you. So that's why when we read the book of Joel, what do we see? 
It starts off in Joel chapter 1 with a plague that already hit the children of Israel. So that already tells you because God said in this covenant, if you disobey me, I'm going to send disaster. I'm going to send drought. I'm going to send disease. I'm going to send all these things. I'm going to send distress. I'm going to send all these things onto you because you are in disobedience. So do you, un- you see, if you don't understand covenant, then it will skew your view of God. Because you would think that is who God is. No, God, God is operating in response to the covenant that he made with him. And guess what? God doesn't break a promise. So God cannot go back on his word. He, you know, when he sends forth, sends forth his word, it will, whatever he sent it forth to do shall come to pass. Amen. So good, bad and ugly. Everything. So remember, that was a conditional covenant. So we must understand this. Um, let, me, let me stick with my notes for a little bit. So just an example of what a covenant actually looks like in today's day and age. So marriage is sort of a, it gives us a bad picture simply because of the way people are treating marriage. So in other words, if you are in a marriage relationship, when the other person in that marriage doesn't bring their part, you have bound yourself in that marriage. And this is why Jesus said that divorce is wrong except for adultery. Do you understand why Jesus' stance on marriage is so strong? Because he wasn't talking about it as a contractual agreement. He was talking about it as a covenant. Sometimes it's actually better to rather be single than to get married. If you think about this, remember when Jesus spoke to the disciples about marriage from his perspective, what did Peter say? Peter said, then this is it's better than to remain single. Yeah. Paul says, <laughs> you know, Paul really talks about the grace of celibacy in a different yeah. dimension. And, uh, you know, he sort of also really paints this picture. It's actually better to say, stay single. Yeah. Now, if you're already married, it's too late for you. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so but, but, you know, when you really look at what marriage is, you need to make sure that the other person that you're going to step into that, you know, to that marriage with, mm-hmm. that they fully understand and have the same understanding as you, if this is your understanding. Because this means that no matter what happens, you have to hold your side of the deal. It's not, you know, if God, imagine God had to, had to deal with Israel in, in, in just any way. You know, if God had to deal with Israel on a contractual basis, we would all be in trouble. If God had to deal with Noah on a contractual basis, we would all be in trouble. Because then God could change his mind because we didn't hold to our end of the deal. So that's very important to understand. So the best example of a covenant that we can think of today, when you think about the Bible, it's separated into what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant, the old covenant and the new covenant. It's, it's actually a very, it's a tricky name to give uh, the two, the, 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 the division. Understand that God never necessarily gave those names. He never divided the Bible. Um, they divided the Bible to make the understanding of the scriptures easier. Um, also remember that there wasn't chapters and verses in the Bible. That all came in afterwards. So when, when they read the Bible in the past, they just read through. It wasn't, um, yeah, okay, go to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. That didn't exist. So they just read Jeremiah. Um, so that's really important to understand. But l- let me explain what a good example of covenant is. So because the Bible is called Testaments, if you think about your last will and testament, have you ever under, understood that you, your last will and testament is actually a covenant? So let's think about the conditions of a covenant and how that ties into your last will and testament. When you put your last will and testament in place, 
You are the stronger and whoever will inherit will be the lesser. Okay, they're the weaker. So like God, when he makes a covenant, he's in the stronger position. He makes the, remember God makes the conditions. He makes the, he gives the promises. Abraham didn't go to God and say, uh, I want to be a father of many nations. No, God said to him, I will make you a father of many nations. Abraham could stay with daddy or Abraham could leave his father's house to step into that and to say, yes, God, I will follow you. I will serve you. So when we think about our last will and testament, it's probably the closest thing you will see to a, uh, what a, a biblical covenant looks like. Um, so when you write your will, you're making a covenant. You are the stronger party and your money and property, you saying, I want to leave this to someone else. You make the conditions. You make, you know, you, you, will, you will bequeath that to someone. You will say, okay, the house is going to this one. Johnny's getting the car. Um, you know, the, the dining room table is going to Susie. Um, you know, the couches are going to, to Ruth. And, and what happens is you make the conditions. You know, in many times, no one else even has a voice into your last will and testament. You make the conditions and you say, this is what I would like to happen. And the other person can say, I don't want the Ferrari. I don't want the couch. Somebody else can say, I don't want that. They have the choice to say, I'll take that or I do not want that. Your last will and testament doesn't enforce that on anyone else. But it does. You do make the conditions to put it in place. There's no negotiation from the other parties, your relatives, your friends, whomever you're leaving things to. They don't, have a, they don't actually have a say into what you're leaving to anyone. You set the terms. You decide. If you want to make an adjustment to that last will and testament, you, do, you put a codicil in place and then you do the, make the necessary arrangements to change the terms. So the other person has to either accept or reject it, right? So think about when God wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Remember what he says there in the New Testament? It says that when Jesus made the new covenant in his blood, it could not become effective until he had died. So do you understand if you think about covenant, Jesus, his covenant, the new covenant could only come into play when Jesus died. Your last will and testament cannot be, no one can come and take the, you know, it's actually a slap in your face if somebody wants to inherit something from you while you're alive. That's why the prodigal son is such a gripping story because the father had grace in his heart towards the son, even though he took his inheritance while his father was alive. It's a smack in the face. You don't go and take your inheritance while the person remains. When the person passes away, now the last will and testament comes into effect. The covenant is enacted. So when Jesus died, we stepped into the new covenant. So I'm giving you the background, and I know I'm lingering on this, but I have to give you the background so you understand covenant. So when we go through the covenants, it becomes so much more clearer and it makes so much sense. Okay, so when Jesus made covenant, you remember covenant came into full effect when he died. Then everything, all the rights and privileges of that covenant comes into play for us as believers today. So what you must understand is that God is a covenant-making God. God doesn't make contracts. You can try and make a contract with God. You can try and make a deal with God. Esau tried to make a deal with God. Many people try and make a deal with God. God, I'm on my deathbed. If you can just give me some more time, and, and if you can just give me another few more years, then I will do that. There are times God honors that just because out of His grace, but God is not a contract-making God. God has voluntarily put himself under obligation to us as human beings. God decided that. We didn't decide it because God is the stronger. We are the weaker. God didn't have to make covenant with man. God chose to make covenant with man. 
God has bound himself to do certain things for human beings. And he has made that his testament. God has made us his heirs according to the promise. Us his heirs according to those covenants. He made his will out in your favor. Right? The most unbelievable thing is that God would make a covenant with people. That is just, it's, it's, it's one of those crazy things. It's as if God married us. He married, he got married to us. And that's why when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about Jesus returning, it's the groom returning for his bride. So when God views anything in his relationship with man, he always views it from a covenant perspective. So I want you to see the first people that God made, made this kind of uh, uh, marriage agreement with, the first group of people was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now when you get married, the woman takes the husband's name because the husband is in the stronger position. And that's actually where that comes from. It came from Adam. In Genesis, God told Adam to name the animals. Whoever gives the name to a thing has authority over that thing. You must understand that principle. Whoever names something has authority over the thing he names. So when Adam named a bull a bull, he had authority over bulls. Tigers, authority over them. A giraffe, authority over them. So when, when, when Adam saw his wife, he named her Eve. And because of that, he had authority over her. So that's why in marriage today, what happens? The woman takes the husband's name. So the husband has authority in that home. So when God, think about God's humility. Think about God's character. When God covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God didn't, (laughs) look at what he did. God took their name. Normally the wife takes the name of the husband. God took their name. Now God is known as what? He's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's so beautiful. That's like, you know, you could have missed that. But if you think about the Bible from a covenantal perspective, you begin to see these things. Remember when God made a covenant with Israel. He got married to them at Sinai. And now it's written, you know, into God, their name. God is the Holy One of Israel. So we begin to see this, that God actually, you know, he's willing to take on the name of the very creatures he created. Now, to me, it's, that's, it's just, it's, it's next level. So God is the Holy One of Israel. So when Israel broke covenant, I want you to understand covenant in the context of, of from, from God's perspective, in covenant from, from the way the Bible talks about it. When Israel broke covenant, every time they broke covenant, you know, even from the point of, of David was the, was the only king that really stayed to God. He was a man after God's own heart. From Solomon, things started falling apart. And God said, I would not bring destruction in his day for, for the sake of his father, David, and the promises God made to him. So you would see from Rehoboam, Solomon's son, you begin to see things start going wrong. Things start breaking up. The different kings, it starts through the, the nation of Israel splits. All these kings, but just it's wicked upon wicked. And they just move away from God. What did, God do, what did God do then? Did he say, because you're doing that, I'm going to... You know what, what's incredible about God? The Bible says this. When you are faithless, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God keeps his promises. So God doesn't... You know, he's not... Today he woke up feeling one way he's going to go one way. No. If he made a promise, he will keep it. So what I want you to see is that through the prophet Hosea, God tells Hosea... My people are unfaithful to me. Every time I'm blessing them, I'm increasing them, I've given them the promised land. But you know what they're doing? They, they are, are treating me like, you know, they are just, they are prostituting themselves. And every time they go after idols and other gods. 
So what God did to Hosea, he said to, to Hosea, I want you to, to have a picture of what it feels like to be in my shoes. And God told Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. And you know what happened when, when Hosea married the prostitute? For a little bit, she was okay. She was happy to be at home. She was happy to be with him. And not long, what did she do? She left the home, went to go and sleep around. Did God say to Hosea, okay, now divorce her and go and find another wife? God said, no, this I want you to operate from a covenantal perspective. So God told Hosea, now you go and find her and bring her back and restore her. That is covenant. That's what, God, what covenant looks like. Yeah. He brought that wife back. He treated her as if, she, you know, grace upon grace. Yeah. He says to her, he washed her off. He restored her. He brought her back. And guess what the next, next thing is she does? She leaves again. So in the same way, Hosea's wife prostituted herself. That's what happens to us. But God doesn't turn his back because he's a covenantal God. He keeps covenant and he makes covenant. So what God does is he actually comes back for his people. He didn't write Israel off. He came back for them. So I shared that with you to give you an understanding of what covenant looks like. So that when you are thinking about covenant, you think about it from, from a biblical perspective. You think about it from this kind of mindset. If you think about marriage, you think about it from a covenantal perspective and not from a contractual, on a contractual basis. You think about relationships. Not all covenants were covenants God made. David and Jonathan made covenant and they made a, an agreement. There's actually um, a covenant in, if you think about royal covenants in the ancient Eastern times, that's a parity covenant. It's called a covenant between equals, binding them to mutual friendship. So this was incredibly beautiful. We don't see this kind of friendship today. You know, sometimes when I'm, I, I, I'm from Cape Town, I've lived in Durban and I'm living in Pretoria. So in Pretoria, I tend to find that there are a lot of shallow friendships. So we begin to, we came here, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and thought, you know, let's, let's hear the kind of relationship that people build here. And many times when I spoke to people, I began to discover that friendships is just they have coffee every now and again. Or they, you know, they, you know, the funniest thing for me was when people invited me for a bribe, but they never took my number. <laughs> And uh, I, I think I'm actually, I'm, 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 I'm quite okay when it comes to being a socialite, you know, engaging and chatting and so on. So I, I don't think it's my personality. <laughs> I think, I, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, when I think about Jonathan and David, I think about this beautiful friendship yeah, yes. where yeah. they could covenant with one another. Where Jonathan, you know, a covenant is so strong that a covenant goes beyond blood. Yeah. Yeah. Think right. about that for a minute. Jonathan covered and protected David because he was in covenant with him. You know, when his own father Saul wanted to kill uh, David, Jonathan protected him. Jonathan covered him. And that's what covenant looks like. I think I'm running out of time, but let, let's see what, what else I can give you before we, we close it. I was actually going to, I was hoping to get into the uh, Noahic covenant uh, tonight, but we can, we can start on that next week. Um, you know, I quoted 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. If we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I want to remind you tonight that when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. Yeah. I want you to see what covenant looks like. And, and I can't wait for us to get to, to the fifth covenant, the new covenant, so that you can begin to understand the context of this beautiful relationship that we are in with God. How Jesus came and he just came to restore man back to the Father. You know, I, I, when, I see, when I see that, it's just, there's so much truth in that. There's so much beauty in that. There's so much grace in that.
that it's just, I don't know, it's, it just does something to me. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. So, you know, tonight, I think we're going to end off on that note. You know, God is, is so incredible in his character, how he's partnered with man and how he, you know, even just seeing that how God takes on the name of people instead of, you know, just putting his name on them. And I just love that. I love what I see in covenants. I love that there's conditional and unconditional covenants. I love that God is a covenant-keeping God. God makes covenant, but he also keeps, keeps covenant. And uh, that picture of Hosea, just think about that this week. Think about the fact that God, you know, when he made covenant with Israel, he never just made it with him and said, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on you. He actually stuck it out. He said, listen, like, like Jose, I want you to marry a prostitute. This is what it feels like to me. This is how my heart breaks. Every time these people turn away from me, even though I've given them the land, even though I've blessed them, even though I've taken them as my own, and God really wanted them to be a, a beacon of light in the world to show everyone else what it looks like for a nation to pursue God. Amen.